Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It is another beautiful day and we're so thankful to have you with us as we continue to discuss growth in Christ. Today we're talking about maintaining an abundant life and how as Christians we are people who are to be filled with joy and fulfilling adventure. Daily life in Christ is to be abundant. We abound in joy. We have fulfillment for each and every moment of our day. And we live in a regard that each moment is a daily walk with Christ. Abundant life is the practical side of having moral excellence. Moral excellence is what we discussed last week of how we have a set of standards and a bar that we live by and we live according to. And we don't lower that standard. We don't lower that bar. We don't become immoral. Instead, we live with high morals and high execution of excellence. The practical side is, is that means that we have an abundant life. We aren't sourpusses walking around like we lost our best friend and we're baptized in vinegar, but instead we have smiles on our face, not false smiles, not masks, so that that way people can sit there and go, oh, what a phony. But instead, Christ gives us a joy that is uncontainable. Can you tell me about that joy that Christ has given you? When we wake up in the morning, we're excited about a new day. We wake up in the morning, it's a Monday, we're not excited about it, but yet it's still we have a driving force that leads us to take each and every single step through each and every single day. Why is that? Some days there's not always a reason to be super joyful or anything like that. I just wake up and I'm ready to accomplish what I'm doing that day and Mm -hmm. get on with the day and enjoy it to the fullest. And there's no specific reason other than I woke up, as some people say, on the right side of the bed. It's just a day where I feel like I'm ready to accomplish anything, tackle the world, whatever. And it has no specific reason why it happened. It just happened. Yeah, absolutely. So in those moments when we're joyfully and excitedly and abundantly ready for the day, those are pretty, those days seem to go by pretty fast too, don't they? Almost to the point where it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't have enough time to accomplish everything I wanted to. I was so excited about today and I was so abounding in joy. I was so abundantly prosperous with what was going on that, man, I feel like I wish every day was like this. But if every day was like that, would we be able to actually enjoy those abundant and abounding days? No, because then it'd just become mundane. Right. It would still become mundane, wouldn't it? We have these ebbs and flows in life that occur regularly for every single person in this world, which leads me to talking about the fact that in abundance, sometimes people think abundance means I've got a lot of money in my bank account. I have a lot of money in my wallet or my purse. I have a lot of money in my house safe, if you have a house safe, or a special sock drawer that you keep extra money in, or a cookie jar in the kitchen that you keep extra money in, or whatever it is, wherever it is that you keep your abundance of money. And, uh, And I have more than enough vehicles. I have all of my bills paid for. Like People think that that is what abundant living is, or at least that's what this world in the 21st century has led us to believe that's what abundant living is. Do you believe that that's the truth or do you believe that's a false notion? Right. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. There are those that work really hard in Mm -hmm. life to to receive the things that they want in life. Like if 
they if they want a bigger house then you work hard for a house if you want a better job you've got to work hard for the job you put forth a lot into your learning and knowledge and education of and therefore that would be an abundance of but an abundant life in christ is different because the fulfillment of the abundance is jesus himself yes I don't Absolutely. really think it depends on uh, the person per se, in my own opinion, because in that, like mommy said, Christ is enough and therefore we need not the things of this world and need not build up all our uh, wealth on earth and therefore buy planes and helicopters and big houses when they amount to nothing whenever we leave the earth, whenever we die. And so in that, we need to be more focused on God than on what this world can offer us. Okay. And therefore, in that, our abundant life, I don't believe it is the right way to see abundant life as having everything you want, because then that is a selfish desire for you. And I need this and this and this and this in order to have an abundant life in Christ. Mm. But still, that's your selfish desire. It's not God saying, you need this it, because God only says, I need you, and then you have me, and that's all you need to have a fully fulfilled, abundant life. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it is the right way to look at abundant life is to want material things. Right. I mean, there, and there's, especially during the time of pandemic and yeah. with COVID, one may struggle with if I have COVID or the coronavirus. Does that mean that I don't have an abundant life? I would say you do have an abundant life because those that have gone through COVID or those who have lost loved ones through COVID, yet again, that brings a sense of community and a sense of awareness of talking about what you went through. Mm. You know, if you had a loved one that suffered with coronavirus and, and expired, you have, you can talk about it. Yeah, You have the right to share of, hey, this is what my loved one went through. Or if you had COVID, then you each tell of your situations of what you've gone through. But that doesn't make it mean that you don't have an abundant life if you if you face sickness. Very true. I 100% agree, yeah. And, and a part of what you're talking about, the abundance is, is the new relationship that you would have with somebody that maybe you would have never met if it wouldn't have been for this fatality that occurred or this mm -hmm. pandemic that had occurred. I believe we talked about that probably about a year ago on this podcast of the fact that Xavier and Blair and Mallory and I have all met new people as a result of the pandemic. And we've got tremendous relationships and friendships as a result of meeting new people because of a worldwide natural disaster, if you will. And the abundance that we have is in the friendships that we now have with these uh, men and women uh, that is just absolutely fantastic uh, and abundant. Mm -hmm. Definitely agree along the lines of Blair talking about Christ is our abounding joy. He is the abundance that we need. And I definitely agree also with Xavier uh, along the lines of the fact that material things are material things. Is it nice to be able to go out in a boat and go fishing? Absolutely. And again, anywhere in the world, you know, going to Thailand to go out on the boat and go fishing there or to live in America and to go out on a boat and go fishing in the Gulf of Mexico or in the Atlantic or in the Pacific Ocean. Those are all, those are all bonus adventures that we get to have. 
But those aren't all exact promises of abundant living for us. I remember the falsified teaching that's come across in the church that was talking about to live an abundant life is to give everything away. And if you give everything away, God will give you double what you had before. So me and my wife, we want, the the teacher said, me and my wife once had a house and we gave it away and God gave us an even bigger house because we had given away that first house. And that kind of teaching gets embedded into our hearts and into our minds and This, again, is not just a teaching within Christianity. This same kind of teaching gets taught in Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism. Everybody wants the almighty wealth. Mm -hmm. Dollar, the rupee, the yen, the, the euro. It doesn't matter what the denomination of money is. Everybody's out and wants more of it. But that's not what Christ is talking about when he promises us an abundant life. Isn't to acquire more wealth and more things. And so when we hear somebody teach something like that, well, I had only 20 bucks and I gave it away and you wouldn't believe it. All of a sudden I went home and there was a check in the mailbox for $40. See, God returned to me double blessings of what this kind of teaching really confuses us, especially in those moments when we have a friend like I did uh, several years ago. His name Uh, I'm not going to mention here, but he was an older man. And I remember he sat down with me one day as an 80 year old man. And he said, Matt, you'll never believe I've given all of my wealth away, believing that one day I would have it returned to me. And he goes, and now I have to live with my daughter and my son-in-law and their three children. And I have a poor man. I don't even, he didn't even draw uh, retirement because he had always been giving his money away all of his life to the point where he was now poorer than the poorest person living out on the street as a homeless person. And instead of that, his daughter and son-in-law opened their home to him, allowed him to live with them. They couldn't even afford to get him proper care in his final days because they had no money in order to help him. And yet he constantly bought into that line of thinking of, if I give it away, God will doubly bless me. So, so back to my friend, we'll just call him, uh, we'll call him Mr. L. Uh, Mr. L had nothing yet. He gave everything away expecting that this teaching would come to be true. Now, does that mean that when the Bible says it is important for us to give our tithe to the, to God, that that is a falsified teaching because we think that we deserve some kind of extra, um, blessing. Like I gave away my house. Therefore I deserve a better house later on that God should give to me. And if he doesn't give to me, then he's not really a real God. Well, that's different between offering and tithes as well. Right. I, I'm not trying to go into to it in that regard. I'm just saying people have this notion that if I give things away, it will be, and this is the scripture they use from the Bible, it will be pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing with blessings so that that way then I will have more than I ever wanted. And that is the description that has come in the 20th and 21st century of what abundant life is. And I want us to very clearly state the the, the several facts that we've brought up here so far. And that is Blair brought up the fact that living in Christ is abundant living. Xavier brought up the fact that monetary value and monetary gain is not actual abundant living. And then we have the third point, which is very important for us to understand. It is that the relationships we have with our brothers and sisters, no matter what their background is, no matter their skin color, no matter their religious preferences, no matter their orientation in any regard, 
relationships with other people is actually abundant living. Mallory, you had something to say? Um, oh, people could also take it in the scenario that like they love God so much that since they read the Bible and it says give all of your things away to serve me mm -hmm. and they do that, they might take it in the scenario not as they're going to get something back. It's just that it's going to be a joy for them because they get to live in heaven. That, that is supposed to be the ultimate goal of why we give things away. Exactly. You're exactly right, Mallory. So whether you're a follower of Christ or not, I also want us to have an understanding that in abundant living, that does not remove the other side of the way life works. And that is, we will have trials, we will have hurts, we will have pain, difficulty, hard decisions, physical ailments. Blair brought this up a little bit already. And there will be a possibility that we may even experience a natural disaster destroying us, ourselves, our house, or our family members. And many people come to the conclusion that this is not fair for a loving God to allow pain, hurt, trials, natural disasters to happen. And they see this problem as a result of God not really being loving. This leads us to a twin problem. Number one, there's moral evil. Bad things, bad people, they do things to each other. Modern day example we have is ISIS. Last century, we had the Nazi Germans. We had imperialist British occupation, 100 years even before the 20th century, as well as in the 20th century. We constantly today have this issue of prejudice. We have a caste system, especially here in India, that is still alive and well, no matter what the law says at the Supreme Court level. We witness it every single day. And then even today, we have another part of life that has just really changed life lifestyles, and that is the pandemic. People have treated each other poorly because of the pandemic that we're in right now. This is moral evil. Notice I haven't brought God into the situation. This is man-on-man -man evil. Second, pain. Things that happen in the universe, like cancer, vehicle accidents, earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanic eruptions, hurricanes, houses catching on fire, sinkholes opening up and swallowing up houses and whole. These kinds of things bring forth pain. This can cause us to reject the idea of living an abundant life in Christ and consider doing away with God altogether. This is where atheism has its biggest foothold in the earth today. Atheism, direct rejection of God and rejection of any kind of religion or religious rituals, this result in this rejection that there can be no good on the earth, there is no justice, DNA is all there is, and we dance to its music. That's a direct quote from a modern-day scientist. If you can come up with the name, make sure that uh, you give it to us. It was Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan said, DNA is all there is, and we dance to its music, making the logical conclusion of rejection of God to be the abolition of morals, ethics, and justice. Because those who reject Christ believe death is the end, meaning the majority of people will never see justice, they think that they are the first to ever come up with this philosophical 
line of thinking. However, we're about to see from one of the oldest books in the Bible that this question has been asked before. Mallory, you have for us Job chapter 8, verse 3. Doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty pervert justice? This question was asked in the book of Job, and this is the same question that people ask today. If God really is a God who loves us, if God is really the God who created heaven and earth, is he really going to allow judgment and justice to be perverted? Or is he going to fully swoop in and prevent every single injustice from ever happening on the face of the earth? However, Bible doctrine and scripture tell us that there is justice. Psalm chapter 33, verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And then we also have Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Mallory. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Wonderful. That is the Old Testament reference. If you would like to see it mentioned again in the New Testament, you can look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Remember, the central claim of following Christ is that Jesus Christ is God encoded in humanity. In other words, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. That is the personhood of who Jesus is. He is 100% God, 100% man. The central fact of following Christ is that Jesus died on a cross. This shows that God is not distant from us in this world or our suffering. Instead, he, Jesus, has become a part of it. He understands our sufferings. He understands our plight, our struggles, our pain, our hardships. He understands it, and that is the reason he died on the cross for us. We can see this referenced in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26 through 28, and Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Continuing on, Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't die on the cross and then just get buried, and then that's the end of the story. No, he rose from the dead. This shows us that there will be a judgment of all mankind, Christian and non-Christian alike, and justice will be shown to all. Now, in that judgment, there are two different types of judgment that will happen. One is the judgment seat of Christ, and one is the great white throne judgment. In the judgment seat of Christ, all Christians, all who confess Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, are going to be judged. We are going to be judged for the work we did here on earth, we are going to be judged for the people that we talked to, for the way we treated people, for how we lived on this earth. Will we get to go to heaven if we go into the judgment seat of Christ? Yes. Yes. However, we will still be judged for our wrong and our right actions. In the great white throne judgment, everyone who rejected Jesus is going to face judgment there. At that point, there's not really going to be a big court case kind of thing going on because the rejection of Christ took place. Will the people that attend the great white throne judgment be able to enter into heaven if their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds? No. No. And the reason they won't is because they rejected Jesus. 
abundant life, as Blair first and foremost mentioned when we first started this podcast, is abundant life in Christ is centered upon having a relationship with Jesus and confessing him as our personal Lord and Savior. And that is the most important thing that we can do in order to live an absolutely abundant life. Are there people here in Asia that are Christians that are extremely wealthy? Yes. Are there people here in Asia that are Christians that are extremely impoverished to the point where they can't even get food to eat every single day? Yes. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Is it fair because... You know, the way we look at or the way we monitor society is as we see the person who has more monetary goods as the person that has more value. But yet that's not the way God sees us. That's not the way he sees life as abundant living. Instead, he sees us as his own creation. And no matter how much money we have or monetary gifts we have here on this earth, that's not the way God looks at us. He looks at us and he says, did that person believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength or not? And if they did, awesome. If they didn't, then they have to go to the great white throne judgment. This makes following Christ Jesus the only faith in all the world that claims the following. You will receive forgiveness for your sins in Christ Jesus when you confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart. This forgiveness by Jesus's shed blood on the cross will cleanse you of all your alienation and rebellion, rebelliousness from God. You will then receive the grace and mercy of God in the form of the Holy Spirit to help in difficult moments. The Holy Spirit and scripture found in the Bible will give you guidance and counsel and principles that will strengthen you during life's pitfalls, whether they are moral evil or pain. So maintaining an abundant life under unforeseeable circumstances requires daily operation at the minimum of the following two things. Number one, we understand God's provision is in Christ. John chapter 10 Verse 10 says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The second thing is that abiding by my responsibilities is vital to an abundant life. That's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Wonderful. Deliberate sin will keep you from living an abundant life. Therefore, in all circumstances, I must stand firm on the promises of God. These are found in the Bible. Acceptance of vain thoughts, ideologies, or other religions will rob us of an abundant life that is found in Christ Jesus. Now for some questions. According to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where does our joy come from? I will now read that passage of scripture. 
But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Where does our joy in Christ come from? The Lord. The Lord. Yeah, absolutely. And then in Psalm 100, what can bring us joy? Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. What brings us joy? Serving him. Serving him in everything we do. What else brings us joy? Coming into his presence. The singings. Do we have to go to a specific location in order to do that? No. no. And we don't have to follow a specific chord pattern, chord structure, song structure, lyric structure. We can just be like, oh God, you're just great today. I love you. Thank you for being here with me. Mm -hmm. And that can be our song of praise to the Lord. Right. Yeah, there's no length of time. No. No time limit. No. It's not like it has to be, okay, if it's five seconds, then that was a good enough song. Or yeah. if it's five minutes, no, that it had to have been a five-minute song. You right? know, I have to have my five minutes of worship music while I read the Bible every morning for 15 minutes at 7.30 in the morning. You know, that it, we can't structure God. We can't compartmentalize him. Right. I remember Pastor Timothy Keller said once that he likes to sit out among his family and do his work. This was when he was a younger pastor. Uh, he's a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in uh, New York City. And he said he would do that because at any time his kids could then come to him and say that they had a question or they wanted to talk to him or they wanted to have a conversation with him. And so he would stop what he was doing in order to have a conversation with them. And he said, that's kind of the way God is. Whereas if the way we live our life is this regard of, okay, Xavier, on Tuesday at eight o'clock at night, you'll have my full undivided attention from eight o'clock at night until 8.30. And that's going to be our time. And that's how, and then I'll see you again next Tuesday from eight until 8.30. That's the only time, if that was the only time I had with Xavier, we wouldn't have very much of a relationship, would we, Xavier? No, no, we wouldn't. But the fact that I'm open to have you in my life at every moment of my life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that's the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. Mm -hmm. And that brings him joy. And when we recognize that I don't only have to worship him on Sunday morning from 11 o'clock until 12 o'clock, but I can worship him all day, every day, no matter where I'm at, that brings me joy. All right. Who has John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31? All right, Blair has that one again. So our question with this is, where do you find abundant life and how do you start to enjoy it? Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. If these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So where do you find abundant life and how do you start enjoying it? Abundant life is in Christ, and you enjoy it through the scriptures of the Holy Bible and making it applicable unto your life, not just 
reading and hearing the word, but doing the word. Mm, absolutely. First John chapter one, verses eight and nine, Xavier has for us. And the question along with this passage of scripture is what promise does scripture give for when you allow sin to spoil the abundant life that Christ offers? If we say hello, no. <clears throat> if we say hello, hello, that's not what it says. That's what I read though. <laughs> I, was like, wow, I, don't, I remember that. If we say hello, hello. I read have no, and I was like, hello. <laughs> if we say hello, hello. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Wonderful. What promise does this scripture give us when we err, when we make a mistake, and we, we do allow sin to spoil our abundant life that Christ has to offer us? Because none of us are perfect yet. So what do we do? We ask for forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness, and then he does what? Forgives us. Whoa, wait a second. Are you telling me that if I make a mistake and I'm a Christian and I ask God to forgive me, he does it? Yes. But that doesn't mean we should deliberately do things wrong because we know God's going to forgive us. Of course. But at the same time, that's amazing that God would forgive me for the wrongs that I do, even after I confess Christ as my Lord and Savior. One of the things I've noticed living here in Asia is, is that the way that the gods work here is, is you better sacrifice this time at this moment with this sacrifice. And if you don't, then the anger of the gods comes against you. But yet the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us that fast. That to me is a reason for following Christ greater than anything else. John chapter 14, verse 15 23 and 24 will be read by Blair. And the question that we're asking ourselves as we're reading this, in what way do you demonstrate your love for Christ? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So in what way do we demonstrate our love for Christ? By keeping God's commandments. Yeah, that's one of the ways. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Being obedient to the law and his precepts. Mm, definitely. Proverbs chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. In the way of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. What two principles are mentioned here that lead to life? A lazy man and death. Um, precious possessions and death. Well, yeah, okay, so a lazy man will end up, yeah, just dying. Because he's not going to take anything when he hunts, right? Because he's not going to hunt. Because he's lazy. But a diligent man, somebody who's diligent, they have precious possessions, don't they? Mm -hmm. So that's one principle. How can I apply that to my life? Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. <laughs> yeah. So I can have an abundant life by not being lazy, mm -hmm. but by being diligent. All right. The second one is in the way of righteousness is life and its pathway there is no death. But I thought everybody died. Mm, everybody dies on earth. 
but if we follow after Christ, he gives us the gift of eternal life with him. We all do die, but then we will be reunited with Christ and be living. But we will no longer be alive on this earth. For how long will we live? Eternity. We will live for eternity. Those who are? Righteous. Yeah, those who are righteous. So righteousness is an abundant living. All right. And then our last question, in order to live an abundant life, is found in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So what principles do we find in this passage that designated for us to find a full life of joy and abundance in Christ? There's so many of them. Keeping the commandments, love one another. Abide in Christ. Yeah. Lord, we thank you for this day. We ask that you continue to gift us that abundant life that we so desperately seek. And let us not look to this world for all of our answers and monetary gain, but to you. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day and that we will be law-abiding people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.